This is Joel Barnett, and this is In Pursuit of Understanding, the podcast series we've produced to help us and our community to better understand the differences and the similarities between people from a broad variety of backgrounds and ways of life. Our objective is to encourage inclusion by demystifying the otherness of different groups. And in each 15 to 20 minute episode, we ask inspirational community leaders simple but important questions to help us learn more about their communities and therefore replace ignorance with understanding. You'll find the series informative, interesting, entertaining and hugely beneficial if you want to better understand people who might happen to be different to you. In this, the first series of In Pursuit of Understanding, we chat to religious leaders, including the UK's youngest imam, the most senior Buddhist monk in the UK, Lord Singh of Wimbledon, and a host of others who share their own unique insight to their religion, as we benefit from learning about the beliefs and customs of Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, Sikhism, and Islam, and how these impact the working life. Join us in pursuit of understanding. In pursuit of understanding Islam, I am joined today by a man known as the Young Imam. Saba Armidi, at 26, is one of the UK's youngest Muslim leaders. He is a father of two gorgeous children, a husband, a coffee lover, and a crossfitter. His work focuses on breaking down stereotypes and misconceptions around Islam, encouraging interfaith dialogue, and showcasing what life as a Muslim in Britain today is is really like. Sabah's work has been featured on the BBC, Sky News, and he's appeared on Good Morning Britain, so he should be perfectly at home on our podcast. Sabah, it's great to have you with us today. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Sabah, tell us about the work you do and tell us about the formative experiences in life that have taken you in this direction. So I was born and bred in Manchester. I had dreams of becoming a teacher, a social worker, a police officer like my father. And then all of a sudden, at the age of 17, I woke up one morning and I kid you not, right now I've got goosebumps. And I said to my mum, mum, look, you know what? I want to give my life for the service of religion. And she said, okay, are you sure that's what you want to do? Because it's not a career you can dip in and dip out of. Once you're a life devotee, you're a life devotee. I said, yeah, mum, this is what I want to do. And I get asked a lot, was it a calling? What was it that actually made you wake up one morning and make that decision at 17 because it is quite young and I honestly feel like it was the prayers of my elders the prayers of my parents the input that my parents had with me as a child going to the mosque regularly for prayers which created that passion and love for my faith and my community and I feel like that was a massive player in my decision to become an imam it's been an incredible journey and it sounds like an incredible journey and this decision at 17, this might be a little bit esoteric as a question, but was, was that your decision? Yeah. Up to the age of 15, 16, my parents always encouraged me to have a look at serving your faith. They said that we feel like it's a very good path to take as a career. And I was like, no, no, mom, you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to earn loads of money. I want to drive a fast car. Like, I don't want to live the lifestyle as, as an imam. They said, okay, look, whatever you want to do in life, we are going to support you 110%. So when I woke up in that, that one morning and I, and I said, Mum, look, I want to give my life for the service of faith. And I sent the application form off and it came back and I was accepted. That is the second time in my life I've seen my dad cry. 
when I saw tears in his eyes when the letter came through the post, I knew that this has honestly made my parents happy. I wasn't doing it to make them happy. I was doing it because I wanted to serve my faith. I wanted to serve my, my maker. So it was a very emotional few months of deciding and, and doing it and applying and packing my bags and leaving home for seven years, not knowing if, I've, if I'd ever moved back home. And I never did. What does an imam do? How would you describe your role in your, in your community? So I think the closest thing to imagine or understand what an imam is, is like what a priest is, but a Muslim version. Well, within our community, imams are posted across the world in various offices within the community to serve in the capacity which the caliph deems appropriate for us to work in. I'll explain what a caliph is. The word caliph in this day is a very loaded word, caliphate and caliph. So a caliph is basically a spiritual leader. Like what the caliph is to our community is what the Pope is to Catholics. After we have finished our seven-year course and the one year of travelling to Africa, Pakistan and Spain, the caliph then posts us wherever the need is. And I was posted in the press office. I've got friends of mine who are in my year group who've been posted to Birmingham, who've been posted to other countries across the world, people serving in mosques, in offices, and those individuals who serve in the mosque, they lead the prayers, they organize events and classes. So depending on where you're posted, determine what you do in that role. But we can be posted anywhere across the world to do anything at any time, come rain or shine. So I could be here today, I could be in a different country tomorrow. And that is the nature of the work as an imam, as a missionary. If we go back to the purpose of what we're trying to do, we're trying to get somebody to start the journey of understanding Islam. And so can we talk about what a typical day looks like for you? Yeah, of course you can. As a practicing Muslim, how does being a practicing Muslim influence what you do on a day-to-day basis? My day starts with the morning prayer. As Muslims, we're required to pray five times a day. It's one of the five pillars of Islam, Salat, prayer. So I wake up in the morning, I pray. And then while I'm at work between nine and seven or nine and six, there are two or three prayers which fall in that time zone. So we'll pray them in the mosque here. And then I'll go home in the evening and then pray with my family, the second to the last prayers, watch for Netflix and go to bed. And what I like about Islam, the beauty of Islam allows you to be who you are, be British, be whatever culture you want to follow, and allows you to mould your life around your faith, prioritising those five pillars of Islam. So I always get this question, can you be British and be Muslim? And yeah, 100% you can. Charitable giving is, a, is the third pillar, I believe. It is, yeah, sadka, yeah. All of my Muslim friends are deeply generous people. And if I'm right, the fourth is the fasting during the holy month of Ramadan? Yep, fasting Ramzan. And we're going to come back to that because one of the things we want to talk about is helping people understand, be more empathic to Muslim colleagues in the workplace. And obviously the holy month of Ramadan is a very significant part of Muslim life. And I believe it comes at different times in the year based on lunar calendar. It does, yeah. So we're going to come back to that. But finally, fifth is the aspiration to make the pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in your life. Is that something you've done? No, if you can afford to do so, then that is compulsory. I haven't yet, no, I do hope so. Okay, so let's talk about working with Muslim colleagues, customers, business partners, suppliers, etc. A company of any size, there's a very high probability that 
you're going to be in contact with Muslim people. What would you say that one should be aware of when coming into contact with Muslim people in the workplace? I mean, one such thing we've already touched on, right, which is that they are likely to want to pray for 10 minutes five times a day. I think one thing is really important to mention. As Muslims, we don't have Muslim written on our forehead. Or we've not got a badge that says, look, I'm Muslim. For example, my wife, Melissa. Melissa converted to Islam when she was 13. So my in-laws aren't Muslim. I've got two sister-in-laws. One is Muslim and one isn't. My wife wears the headscarf. But if she didn't wear the headscarf, then she is a white British Muslim. You wouldn't know if she was a Muslim or not. So maybe that's one thing to take into consideration that regardless of whatever faith someone is, just because someone doesn't look a certain way, doesn't mean they're not that. Do you know what I mean? So that's really important to mention. Working with Muslims, things to consider is that they obviously don't drink alcohol. Islam doesn't allow the consumption of alcohol, nor does it have pork. Muslims are required to pray, like you said, five times a day. So maybe giving them time and space to pray whenever the time may arise. Partaking in their celebrations, maybe, or recognizing their celebrations. So for example... Eid and Ramzan or other times of the year which they feel is important. That is probably the most important thing. But in the same breath, I also want to mention that Muslims also have a responsibility to partake in others' festivals and celebrations. Because Islam teaches that there's no compulsion in religion and for you, your religion, and for me, my religion, as the Holy Quran teaches. Especially when you're part of a transnational religion. And actually the vast majority of religions are. We live in a society where we're mixing with, integrating with people from different backgrounds, belief systems, etc. And actually part of the path to understanding, which ultimately results in peaceful acceptance, people kind of living harmoniously, cohabiting this earth side by side, is actually making a bit of an effort with each other and seeking to understand why people have different beliefs or why have they different customs without judgment. I think it's really important and education is key. And it's just about taking a little bit of time out, like you guys have done, like this podcast is taking place, just to understand and broaden your horizons. It doesn't take long. It's a conversation. It can happen over a cup of tea or a coffee, whatever you prefer, or a green tea for that matter. But it's just about understanding what each other believe. To be honest, the beauty of faith and religion, and only religion teaches this, is to put your own desires on the back burner and put other people before you. And that is something which faith and religion teaches. And you're right. It's about understanding each other so we can live in a society where we all get on, regardless of the colour of our skin, what we believe in, how we look differently. That is, besides the point, we all share the common denominator of love for humanity. The main message from every conversation that I've had with community leaders when talking about how does somebody better understand their community or indeed any community or any belief system or way of life is make a bit of an effort. Seek to understand and do so with an open mind, with an open heart, without judgment, without the baggage of the belief that if it's not your way, it has to be the wrong way. You know, everybody can have their own differences and we can accept each other's differences and still get along perfectly well. I think you're right. I think that idea is my way or the highway doesn't work anymore. A lot of people are scared to ask questions because they think they're not PC. But until we answer those questions which people have, 
we're not going to be able to live in a space where people have healthy relationships. Look, a third of Britons feel that Islam threatens the British way of life. It's a fact. It was put out by hope, not hate. It's a big number. It's a massive, it's a huge number, a third. So, as well as a Muslim, I put myself out there and said to people, don't feel like there's a question you can't ask. Yes, ask it in a respectful manner. As you'd ask anybody. But until we give people answers, until as Muslims we answer people's questions, the fears that they have, which unfortunately has been created by the media, and the media have massive responsibility in the perception of Muslims in this day and age, we need to have healthy and honest conversations and not be scared to ask questions, but pitch them in the right way. So what are your favourite customs? Because you know, Islam is an incredibly colourful religion with wonderful customs dating back many thousands of years. So what, what, what are the, the maybe, maybe two or three that you would pick out as your personal favourites? So I think when it comes to customs, I feel like culture and religion are two different things. And when we mix culture and religion together, that's when we see the formation of issues and problems. So I don't know about customs, because customs is a very generic term, but two things which I like about Islam is a sense of community. Islam teaches that you cannot fulfill God's rights until you fulfill the rights of his creation, looking after everyone around you. So you can't fulfill God's rights until you fulfill the rights of his creation. Looking out for your neighbour, being there for one another, doing humanitarian work and charity work. So that's one aspect of my faith, which I love. I love meeting people, socialising. So for me, it's fantastic. The other aspect of my faith, which I like, is prayer. Because I feel like prayer is so healthy because I feel like we're, sometimes we get caught up in the world. We get caught up in the rat race of life. It's always healthy to take time out from the world just to self-reflect, just to be at peace with yourself. So that five times a day praying for 10 minutes gives you a chance to breathe, gives you a chance to clear your mind. It helps you with mental health because obviously when you pray and you prostrate, you're given the opportunity to pour your heart out to God and ask for help. So for me, prayer and fulfilling my rights to my fellow human beings are two things which I really love about my faith. Understandably so. Are there different levels of observance? So, for example, in Judaism, right, you can be reform at one end of the continuum right the way through to the other extreme of kind of ultra-Orthodox. And it's accepted that there are these kind of sects within the religion. Is that, is that the same within Islam? So within Islam, there's no sense of Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox, liberal, those kind of stages within the faith. Everyone practices Islam how they wish to practice it. Whether an individual prays once a day, twice a day, five times a day, whether they offer the optional prayers, they do other works or other things to increase their spirituality and their connection with their maker. That's an individual choice. And nobody can force you to be a certain type of Muslim or categorize you or you're a weak Muslim or you're not a true believer or the way you follow your faith is not the right way. Because the Holy Quran teaches that you will not bear the burden of another on the Day of Judgment. Which means, you're answerable for your own actions, and I'm answerable for my own actions. And nobody has the right to say, you're not a Muslim, or you're not a good Muslim, or you're a bad Muslim. And the reason why is because we are weak individuals ourselves. Nobody's perfect. So if you're not perfect, how can you say to somebody else, 
that they're wrong or they're weak. That's what Islam teaches, that everyone's on their own spiritual journey. And just to help everyone become the best version of themselves is an obligation which we have as Muslims. Regardless of someone Muslim or not, it's important to encourage others to be good people and help others. But answering your question, there is no high or low category of a Muslim. Everyone's on their own journey. So if somebody wants to learn more about Islam, what reliable resources are available to them? And I say reliable because you can go on the internet and read some of the scariest stuff around. What would you point somebody in the direction of? So first of all, within Islam, we have the Holy Quran, which is the Holy Scripture. Not a single word of that has been changed since his revelation over really 1,400 years. Not a single word. You open the Holy Quran here in London, you open it in Belgium, in Egypt, in wherever, it will be the same. That, in essence, is what Islam teaches. Then you have the actions of the Prophet, may peace and blessings of God be upon him, which is the ahadith, which is the sayings and the actions of the Prophet. Also speaking to a Muslim, someone who lives their life according to what their faith teaches, and then you have sources online as well. But I feel like talking to an individual or, or a Muslim themselves can really help you understand what Islam teaches. For whom that's not all that easy. If you live somewhere that's not particularly populated by a Muslim community, any advice as to how somebody could even start that journey? Somebody listening to this podcast who thinks, you know what, I would love to talk to a Muslim about their faith and understand their world better. How do they even start that? You can talk to me. Okay. And how does somebody get in touch with you in the in the So you place? can you can on social media, on all the social media platforms, I have the same handle, which is at the young imam. That's YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. If anyone needs to have any questions answered or wants to have a chat or just wants to send me a joke, just send it over. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm a human being as well. Like, so I think it's really important to connect with people. And if someone wants to know how they can talk to a Muslim, then you can come to me. And we'll have a chit-chat. Saba, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me on. 